Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you're listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders, how's everybody doing out there in the beautiful, wonderful land of crowdfunding? You know that magical place where you get your dreams to come true by raising money through Kickstarters or Indiegogos or equity crowdfunding, whatever it might be. If this is your first time here, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. I'm the CEO of Woodshed Agency. We are a, a boutique marketing agency that specializes in the crowdfunding space, whether that's running a Kickstarter, an Indiegogo, uh, equity crowdfunding, which is finding investors for your business. Um, and we also do a lot of e-commerce. So we are in the marketing space, right? Basically, I'm, you know, I make people buy stuff that they don't really need, right? I'm like the new, I'm like a sham wow guy in 2021. So that's what we are. But this podcast a little bit different than that. This podcast is all about talking to project creators while they're in the middle of their campaign so that we can give the most up-to-date information to you guys, the listeners, on what you have to do to become successfully funded yourself. And today's episode is no exception. We're going to be talking to the Kickstarter campaign tidbit um, that's coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, and we've got two, uh, that both the founders on it, Rohan and Mats, are going to be on the interview. So we, um, And we're going to be talking about how they got to this point of raising just under $800,000 uh, for this really unique vintage sign itch. I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but trust me when you guys, you guys got to stay tuned uh, for the interview that's coming up here in just a little bit because it is a phenomenal, phenomenal story um, about how this product kind of came to fruition and is doing really well over on Kickstarter. So yes, super, super excited about, uh, about this interview. Um, so what else is going on? Well, well, we've had, had a busy week. Yeah, you know what? It's Sunday night. I'm actually recording this Sunday night, so I don't have to do it Monday. Um, uh, my Sunday nights are typically pretty tiring because uh, I work all weekend. Um, so I, have, you know, so I'm in that sort of headspace. I'm also going to be announcing some pretty big news on the next episode, um, and I'll give you guys a little hint. I think the successfully podcast episode is coming to an end. I'm not going to give you more details. Uh, we've done over 230 some odd episodes. Uh, and I have in my head here the uh, John Coffee. I'm just tired, boss. Dog tired. Um, but yeah, we've got some interesting new news coming up. So I'm going to share it on the next episode. Uh, I'm going to get into some more detail as, as to what's going on, why we're making some of these pivots and changes, um, some of our thoughts and feelings around kind of reward-based crowdfunding in general, kind of where we are kind of as a whole. Um, and we've got some interesting thoughts on it. And um, I would actually, and, and most of it I don't think is good. So I definitely encourage everybody, make sure you guys are tuning in the, to the next episode. Um, it's going to be an interesting one because I'm I'm doing a follow-up interview with the tool KickBooster. And um, they've got an interesting new platform, uh, or actually a new pledge manager is what it is. So we're going to be talking uh, to Shelby again on that episode. So like I said, that's going to be coming up later in the week. Um, but this episode is a little bit, you know, still more on the traditional side, right? We're just talking about, you know, what's going on. And, and there's a lot of kind of like a lot of movement in, in I think, in this space right now. Um, we tried to have a clubhouse event the other day to talk about some of these things and didn't get a big, didn't, didn't get much reception um, from it. But uh, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, there's a lot on the mind right now, personally. Um, I just, uh, uh, I'm questioning quite a bit right now. I think you're going to see some pretty big moves. Well, I know I'm going to be doing some pretty big moves here soon. Um, just as an agency, just as to where we're going and marketing, how we're getting people's attention. You know, the pandemic has kind of highlighted and spotlighted a, a ton of stuff, um, around, you know, yeah, it's great. Everybody's at home a lot. Everybody's on their devices a lot, but that just means everybody's just getting bombarded. And I think truly what has happened is we're all also, we don't need a lot of stuff. Maybe we're all sitting here going, maybe I don't need all this stuff, right? Do I really need this? You know, so what happens 
if that becomes more and more of the mindset, you know, you'll get really successful campaigns like the one we're going to be talking to here in a little bit, um, which has created a very cool and unique design and they've really, you know, done a great job with it. I mean, it, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It's a great campaign, but from our, um, our vantage point, we're not seeing that many successful campaigns. Yeah, they're out there. I know they're out there and you know, you can look and always see them. Um, but you know, a lot of our ethos for what we do for, for companies is trying to make them make really good decisions on, you know, raising capital, marketing, putting their message out there. Um, and in the beginning, it was a great thing to run a Kickstarter because you truly got the crowd's input. Um, there, you know, if they, um, you know, you could get a project supported for 30K, 25K, kind of get that first foot out the gate, maybe not have your prototype all the way done. You know, those days are, are pretty long gone right now. Uh, the campaigns that are doing well have some capital behind them, have a ton of resources, um, or they're working with so many agencies and it's uh, there's everybody's taking their cut. Um, you know, everybody, you know, so it's death by a thousand cuts. And the notoriety of like a big successful Kickstarter, I don't think holds much more, much as much weight anymore as it used to. Um, it used to, you know, hold a ton of weight for what would come next. And now I don't know if people care that much. They just want to buy the thing if they want it. Right. Um, you know, other headaches that we see, and this is really inside baseball is, um, you know, the lack of support, that the platform like a Kickstarter gives you. Um, it's a very snobbish platform. It's one of the only tech companies I can even imagine or think of who hasn't changed their core technology on the back end in 10 years. It's bonkers to me. The fact that you can't put pixel codes in or you can't do some of these bare minimums things. It's also, you know, for because of the, the, the limitations of the platform, which I get, I totally get why there was limitations to the platform 10 years ago when the internet was a completely different place. But now you have all of these hacks and workarounds and, um, you know, you need tools to help with, with, with pledge management and, and the platform itself is just not bringing traffic anymore to campaigns. You know, it used to be, you know, Kickstarter was a good chunk of your, of your, of your buyers. And that market has just been saturated. There's just no, there's just not a lot in it anymore. So I say all of this because, you know, as an agency, we are sitting here and we're looking and we're thinking, you know, where, where do I want to be? And truthfully, you know, the Kickstarter space has, it hasn't really felt good for a while, right? It just hasn't felt fun. And it used, I'm telling you, it has been a blast running some of these campaigns, right? We have like made dreams come true. We have kickstarted, truly kickstarted companies. Um, it's just that those are becoming few and few and far between. And the, and then the platform is so challenging to work on. Right. And I'll give you one, another example. Like you can't put a pixel code on like a Facebook pixel code on your, on your page. And yet to get these campaigns to raise a ton of money, you've got to spend a ton of cash, right? Sometimes 25, 30% of whatever you raise. So if I want to raise a hundred grand, I might spend 30 grand in advertising in 30 days. And to not truly be able to track that data, it's, it really is. It, it goes against my other beliefs of like, you know, if you're going to make this investment in Facebook ads or whatever it is, you got to make sure you're owning your data. That data is gold. So if you're not doing that or the platform is not allowing you to do that, what is, what's the benefit? If the platform is not bringing you, um, a new audience, what's the benefit? If you have to pay a good fee to be on the platform, what is the benefit? If, um, if it's really hard to work on or to design and make your page look amazing and where it's a smooth, uh, and easy for people to, to convert, right? So they understand what's happening. Well, if that's not happening, it's challenging. So, you know, all of this stuff, I mean, you know, I've dealt with it for a long time, but now I'm looking and going, why? Why are we doing this? You know, uh, why are we not just putting up 
uh, a pre-order on a Shopify store or, or a Squarespace or whatever it is. Just build out, build a, make it look amazing, have great gr- images, graphics, and then run traffic into it and say, hey, we're pre-ordering it. You get 30 days to pre-order it. Why are we not doing that? If you're not getting any traffic from Kickstarter or, or that traffic from Kickstarter is you know, under 10% or so, or so, well, when you take that into consideration and you take in your platform fees to be on it, Whew. is it really worth it? So I say all that because there's a lot on the mind over here, a lot on the mind. Um, it feels a little bit bittersweet because um, I have this feeling that I'm walking away from something that I have been a part of from literally the beginning of it. Um, but it just doesn't feel much, very much fun right now. And maybe it'll go away. Maybe I, I say all this, but it'll be fine. So, all right. If you are thinking about running a crowdfunding campaign, you guys still need to go to our website, go over to woodshed.agency. There's a ton of valuable information. That stuff's not going anywhere, the blog or any of that sort of stuff. So you guys go over there. You guys can obviously check that stuff all out. Um, uh, you know, you can still pick a time to talk to me. I'm still, still love to talk. Um, all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. I'd love to hear what you're working on. Um, but yeah, this, this interview though, it, it was, it was cool. It was cool to talk to two guys that, that get it. Um, and have, you know, had, had, have had absolute great success with it. Um, it's a cool product. I actually, uh, I'm a backer. Um, so you guys can go over and check it out. I'm, I'm backing it. I'm supporting it. So, um, all right. But with all that said, let's go ahead and kick to my conversation uh, with the guys over at tidbit and let's talk about it. Let's see how they raised $800,000. Here we go. gentlemen the red lights on this is go time this is when we're making podcast magic you guys excited totally oh i can see it Uh, everybody's excited everybody's excited well before we get started we're gonna do two things one since there's two of you why don't you guys both introduce yourselves so that our people who can't see you can hear your voices and understand and then i've got a follow-up question after that so who wants to kick it off here somebody want to somebody want to take it you go first Rohan. hey i'm rohan uh i I guess months or (laughs) yeah Rohan Amats, right? <laughs> we should have a gesture to indicate who's talking when. Like, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Um, all right, gentlemen. So that's who's on our on our show today. So before we get into the episode, Rohan, why don't you start off with uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast? Oh, you know, actually, I usually don't eat breakfast, but this morning I had a bagel, uh, just plain bagel toasted with herb cream cheese. Nice, nice. Mats, how about you? What, what, what was uh, what's your fancy this morning? Or maybe it's right uh, there in your hand. <laughs> no, no, this is afternoon coffee. I did uh, yogurt with some granola and a caffeine pill and some vitamin D. Awesome. You should All always right. start my day. Nice, nice. All right, man. Look at those breakfasts. All right, gentlemen. So now that we've got the important stuff out of the way, what you guys had for breakfast and your names, why don't you guys tell my listeners um, what you guys are raising money for over on Kickstarter um, that is being very, very successful? So why don't you guys why don't you guys tell us what you're doing on Kickstarter right now? Sure, I could take this one. Uh, so we are raising money for Tidbit. Uh, Tidbit is a retro lo-fi display that connects to the internet and it can show you anything you want. It can show you the weather, the time, it can connect to the stock market, it can show you uh, how your Bitcoin is doing or when your train's arriving, really anything you can think of. Um, it, it's totally customizable, it's hackable, it's uh, it's DIY friendly. And uh, that's what we've uh, been working on for the last year or more. So <laughs> it's finally cool. on Kickstarter now. Yes, it's cool. So for our people who, you know, you know, it's easy to say it's a retro screen um, or display. What does that mean? Like, like, again, for our people who can't visually see it right now or haven't been to the page, like, you know, what, what, are, we, what are we talking about? What does it look like? I, I kind of, it reminds me of, if you think about the old like pinball arcade displays, mm-hmm. it's like that old style LED, it's called the LED matrix. Yeah. So it kind of looks like that. It's literally just lights. Um, and we put it in a wood case, kind of, 
trying to evoke that old school audio equipment kind of feel too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For, for myself here, I love it. I think it's like, I, I believe I was born in the wrong decade. I'm a seventies, you know, dude, uh, look, feel vibe songs. I like instruments. I want to play. Um, so like when I saw this, I was like, well, I'm going to have to buy a couple of those. Cause I mean, it's just, it's just kind of my world here. So where is the sort of, you know, maybe where's the start of this idea? I mean, what, what, you know, why do we need this? Where do why are you guys working on it? You know, how did you guys get to this point right now? Sure. Uh, so I think, uh, this started almost a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, you know what? It started further back than that. I think it started years and years ago when, when Mott's actually taught me how to tinker with electronics. <laughs> so like, oh, you plug this LED into this power source and it turns on and stuff happens. Like, oh, wow. That's, that's pretty wild. Um, and then, you know, quickly the LED went up in smoke and that didn't go so well. But, uh, after a while, uh, I decided I just wanted to like hack on this stuff some more. So, uh, so like trying to think of a project and I live on top stop in Brooklyn. Like I live pretty much on top of it. You can hear the train <laughs> going by and, uh, in the morning, that's pretty much what my mornings used to be is hopping on the train and go to work. Right. Uh, so I figured, why not just have something where I can see what time the train is coming on here? Uh, and I got this kind of old school LED display because I wanted to have it look cool and have have it be on our shelf at home. Put that up. Um, and it kind of worked. And this was a very early version. And I think uh, around then, Mats, that's when you were over and you actually saw it, right? Uh, I think we went out for beers. You'd left Spotify a couple of years before and we'd seen each other a few times. We went out for beers and you said you wanted some feedback on the electronics. And <laughs> I quickly realized it was all way over my head because I can teach you about <laughs> resistors and all this law and stuff like that. But when you have like a microcontroller on a custom PCB and, and whatnot, then not so useful. But it was really cool to see it. And we started talking about like the potential for building more stuff on it. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was the... Th- uh, I had a birthday party around the same time, I think, which was, you know, back in the day when you could have people over to your house. Yeah. And uh, the glory days. The glory days. Like, oh, I want to put this. People. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The before times. Yeah. And uh, folks who saw it were like, uh, had all these different ideas of stuff they wanted to do with it. And I was like, okay, well, this could actually be something more. It could actually be something that a lot of people could use for different things. Sure. That's cool. That's cool. So, I mean, so now that you guys are kind of, I mean, when do you guys start really working on it? It sounds like it's more of a passive thing at this moment, but maybe, when did you guys, do you guys have a partnership? Like when does that sort of start to say, Hey, this is, maybe this is something actually here. I mean, maybe Mats, maybe you can kind of walk us through that. Like when you, when you were like, okay, I want to, let's work on this. I mean, I think it was shortly after that, that, that time we met over beers and, and actually, I actually saw the thing and we started brainstorming a bit. But I kept going for a while. Like we talked more about it, about potentially trying to build something and like what could it be or what could it do. Mm. Eventually, we booked uh, a breather, uh, which is the thing that exists at least in New York, where you can like you can rent a small office space for a couple of hours. We met up with another friend and had a whiteboard and started really hashing out some of the some of the potential ideas. Mm. And that turned into a hack session, which turned into another hack session, which eventually turned into a decision to talk to my boss, my current employer, Spotify, ask him if I could start working four days a week. And I started spending one week on on this project. And at that point, you were full time, right? Yeah, actually, it was just kind of a crazy coincidence. I was working, uh, I was working somewhere um, that, you know, they were they were having some troubles. And they were like, you know, looking to downsize. I was like, okay, well, you know, I was I have this project anyway, so I might as well, (laughs) this is going to be the time. So I jumped ship then and started working on Tidbit full time. Um, And I think that was a while ago. That was like July, 2019. We're we're talking about. That's cool. So, so that's an interesting session. Sort of, I would say this, that's an interesting session around this, like uh, sort of brainstorming. Cause I think it's important for a lot of business, a lot of companies, you know, did you guys walk in with at least something in your mind or did you walk into that with, we're going to throw everything against the wall. There's no bad idea. Like what was the mindset at that point when you're just trying to like, you know, just think about what, what this thing could look like at some point. Do you remember that? That was a while ago, right? I remember <laughs> being there and I remember having that whiteboard that you talked about. I mean, I think our ambition was to, to, 
to have a very open-ended discussion and throw anything at the wall and if it sticks it sticks but i think what ended up really quickly happening was that we started honing in on more well-defined stuff like kind of immediately we're like well it'd be cool if you can see subway times and weather right like those are so obvious because right. like you want that but then it just kept spinning in the same direction what about what about the new york city ferry i want to see one of the other parts i was commuting to to my office on the ferry at that time and you start adding more stuff what about city bike like it'd be cool if i yeah. could see availability mm -hmm. in a rental bike station and what about sports and what about stocks and what about cryptocurrencies and what about all these other things and what about custom photos and right it, you know what it, though you've totally yeah. reminded me of uh yeah we did throw a lot of stuff on the wall that didn't stick right because like now i remember we we're like oh what if we made them really big and then and then we sold them to like coffee shops and they could replace their menus with like these big LED reader boards, which yeah, I mean, true. it's a thing that I'm sure somebody could do, but it's not what we ended up doing <laughs> at all. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we spent yeah. a long time talking about the possibility of building in magnetic sensors. You could stack them. It's like, what if you bought a hundred of them and put them on top of each other? You could automatically <laughs> figure out its configuration and scale things up and scale it down. You could watch movies on this. Day. So, yeah. yeah, I guess it wasn't as, as laser focused as I remembered it. Yeah. So, but it sounds like even in that time too, as you're kind of going through stuff, some stuff is quickly kind of falling off. And at that point, are you, is there at least, and it seems like this, the answer is going to be yes, is are you starting to imagine who this user is? Because I think that, again, that buyer persona probably becomes more clear as you're going. But at this point, you're kind of, it sounds like you're talking a lot about inner city living to some degree, you know, subways and ferries, you know. I'm in Detroit. It's a car everywhere we go, right? I might have weather and, you know, my stocks, but, you know, do I need the subway? We don't have one, right? So, like, but in your guys' mind, as you're kind of putting this together going, man, this is really our user, right, at, at, at some point. We definitely did that uh, at some point. Um, but early on, we did very much bias towards, um, you know, like uh, people who <laughs> lived in New York, honestly, or people who are <laughs> yeah. like living in an urban area with a lot of transit. Reason being like, we are those people. And so it's pretty easy for us to sit down and come up with the requirements and product that would work for us. Uh, soon, soon after, I think we started breaking it down into different personas uh, mm. uh we might have even given them names actually Mats, i think you gave them names uh yeah and, i was trying uh, a bunch <laughs> of these product development tricks i've learned over the years but not always so useful yeah they're good in a medium article but maybe in real life you're like yeah i don't know if I'm gonna <laughs> yeah like tinkering tony who wants to build a custom pinball machine with this tidbit it didn't stick uh, it's funny uh, don't mention pinball machines. I'm trying to convince my wife to let me buy a, an $8,000 ACDC big pinball machine, like a real one. And she's like, what are you talking about? You're not buying an ACDC pinball machine. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? We need one. We need one right over here, right? Like, a little, yeah, I need one of those. Uh, yeah, that's um, a Stern machine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, so yeah. I, so what's, you know, as as the ideas are starting to come into focus, on the men, like on the product side, the, the prototypes and all this stuff, what starts happening? How, what are you putting together to, to visually, you know, hey, this would work? What are you guys trying to do at that point? I think we're just trying to build this full on, like, works like, looks like prototype, like all in one. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, also, just, just for a little background, like, Mats and I both have software backgrounds. We haven't built a bunch of products before that are physical. Um, so things like like phrases like works like works like prototype or look looks like prototype those were kind of new uh, so we're just like let's just build the thing um in the in the meantime like also over the course of, of like a few years i'd gotten more into like uh just building stuff i guess a little bit of woodworking like uh doing like some cnc robotics and electronics type stuff uh so it's like okay we should be able to build this prototype, at least in my <laughs> basement. So there's all the tools there. Let's do that. And then uh, let's also figure out how to design PCBs because we have to design the circuit boards and electronics. And, you know, I think it was also kind of like, if you haven't done something, you don't know how big the scope of it is going right. to be. So it's very right. easy to be like, oh, yeah, totally do this. Totally like, do. how hard yeah, can totally it be? It can't be that hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that, that's that's kind of how uh, we approach it. That's cool. 
and what I know we're, we've, we've got a pretty good timeline here, but what's the timeline just though on like prototypes to what I'm seeing on a Kickstarter page? Because so I got to imagine that there's a window of time in there. The first thing you build isn't, I'm assuming, maybe I'm wrong, isn't what I'm seeing on the Kickstarter page at, at this point, right? Yeah, not at all. Yeah. So what's that timeline like? Like what's an expect like, oh man, it, you know, this was like six months of us really getting, you know, pro, you know, version one to version eight, you know? Uh, that's funny that you say that because our PCBs are actually marked right now version eight. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think it's a, it's over a year, right? Because uh, a lot of these things, there's like the turnaround time for a prototype. It's not like it's not like a software product where you just you know make a new version of the website or right. the app the next day. Um, actually, I mean those things also take a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but um, yeah, over over a year because we definitely had something uh over a year ago where it was like oh wow this prototype it works we're definitely going to be launching on kickstarter in like two months and that's like <laughs> yeah it still took, took a lot longer yeah well you know and this question i want for both of you because i want to see if your answers are different but what was during that time because i think that that is the most critical time in a lot of these campaigns what was the thing that was keeping you up at night that you knew that you had to get right before a kick, you know, before a Kickstarter happens, before you're, you know, showing it to anybody, what 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 was keeping you up at night that you just knew you had to get? Want to go first, Juan? Uh, no, you go first. Okay, I'd, I'd say it wasn't uh, the hardware at all for me because like it has changed a lot, but at the same time, like one of the first prototypes we did, or that Rowan did on his CNC router in his basement, which is humongous by the way, was made out of like cheap wood and what we've done since then is like tweak it a little bit tweak it a little bit use higher quality wood with higher quality finish it looks a lot better now but it's not like a major shift mm -hmm. so what i was nervous about was the user experience of setting it up and controlling it because mm -hmm. there's a companion app for your smartphone and i'd never built uh, a smartphone app before in my life and i tried to to write this and it was awful like it was so mm -hmm. ugly and that, that was like that was really concerning what if it it's not a reliable, good experience. What if the first thing that happens when someone tries to set this up is that they're disappointed in, right. in me or us, or at least the product? Like, mm -hmm. that was scary. Yeah, uh, I think the hardware, same for me, wasn't something that was super keeping me up because it was like, we can figure this out. Like, it's a technical problem. If we run into technical problems, I'm confident in our ability to solve them. Uh, I really worried a lot about and especially since this was earlier before we really started planning our Kickstarter launch a lot, it was like, we're building this thing and we're sinking so much of our time and our effort and our lives into it and we <laughs> want it to succeed. But we don't really, at that point, we didn't really have a roadmap to like, how are we going to get this in front of people? Are people right. going to want it? Or after working on this for a year, is it just we're gonna, <laughs> like, you know, like you can't just build it and hope they will come. But we right. haven't figured out a strategy for that yet. And that's what really kept me up at night. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. You know, and I think this is probably for a lot of creators, which is most of our audience here. How do you, though, keep going, right? Because there is probably many days inside of that window where you're like, man, we've spent, you know, 40 grand, 40 grand, 10, whatever the numbers are. Just And the time, what if nobody wants this thing? You know, how do you, how do you, how do you wake up that next day and go, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's get back to it and, uh, you know, re fix the wood that you were talking about. You know, let's let's just try that now. What what? Because I think that that's something that we're just born with. I don't know if that's a taught thing for a lot of entrepreneurs. But what do you guys feel like? Do you guys feel like no, no, no? We never questioned it one bit. We just kept doing it. You know, I was just having so much fun. Yeah, like I, I had a worked at, at a company prior to this project, and it was it was a great employer, and I really enjoyed being there. But all the freedom and all the coding and all the hacking I got to do on this project was just so much fun. And I like working with Roland. We worked together before in the past, and it was always fun. It was good to be back into doing that. So I just yeah, enjoyed good. it. And especially with COVID hitting, it was like work was like a very welcome <laughs> way to escape the reality of sure. everything else. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, feel like, I feel like uh, so I started working on I, I started working on Tidbit full-time like a few months before UMOTS, right? So I feel like I was going through like similar stuff, but it was like slightly upset because, uh, you know, at some point it was like, I hadn't seen a paycheck in like, nine months or something, right? <laughs> and uh, it was starting to worry me. And 
uh, yeah, with the pandemic too. I mean, this, just the stress everyone's been yeah. through at that point, right? And uh, I definitely had times where, like, no, I wasn't just pushing forward on it. I probably had like an entire week or two here and there where it's just like, I can't focus. I'm my basement, which was fun to prototype in, is now my prison where like this is where everything happens. Uh, I can't really do anything. But yeah, yeah like I, I, I'm really glad we were working as a team because. If it had been just me, that would probably have been it, right? Um, but just having somebody else to, like, on the weeks that I couldn't push forward, Mats was still pushing forward. And so there was always something happening. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's super, super important, that team. So is there anybody else that's helping with this project besides you two? Is there, what, what, what does the team sort of look like? Yeah, uh, we have... So we have a few other people who've helped us out, a uh, huge deal. Uh, just friends mostly or people we know through our network. Uh, we've worked with people doing creative design, creative direction, graphics design, user interface design, mm. helping us um, with manufacturing and sourcing, um, manufacturing, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's been Mats and I like every day full time, but we could have done this just the two of us. Yeah. When you're again thinking about that project creator, how are as you're going through this and navigating, and you know you, the two of you are you know going on it all the time, how are you self-evaluating yourself to say you know what I actually need a little bit of help with the graphic design element, or boy, not my strength. I'm gonna go. I got a buddy. I want to talk to that person. Like, how are you sort of working through that as opposed to a lot of people who are just like it's just the two of us. We'll we'll, we'll do all of it, right? And maybe you don't do a couple of these things as well as the other stuff. So like, how do you sort of think about that? The conversations around that, the, 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 the vulnerability potentially in some of that, you know, like I was just saying, hey, listen, I'm just not very good at X, Y, Z. How do you guys navigate that? I mean, we ask for feedback, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's like, we, we know we're comfortable dealing with the software stuff throughout the whole stack. We've, we've done it for years professionally. That's fine. We can manage that. And I thought our, design work in the first mobile app, for instance, looked pretty good. I was you know, kind of proud of it. And then I showed it to someone who wasn't me and I could, you know, they said nice words, but I could tell from the body <laughs> language that this is very concerned about me. This is not going to go well. So at that point, we, you know, reached out to real designers and asked them what they think. And they explained that this is crap. And uh, mm. fortunately, they were people that we trusted. So uh, we took their advice and got some professional help yeah. moved on with it. I'm really glad, though, that we have, I don't think there's any function in the company that we haven't, you or I, tried to do ourselves first so that we can at least get to the point of, okay, we understand kind of what needs to be done and kind of what we should be looking for and asking for help with. Because you can't just throw it out there and hope for the best, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's been incredibly important. Like marketing, the pre-launch campaign we ran is a similar thing. We were talking about getting help from an agency and we had such a hard time evaluating what they were offering us or telling us. And we ended up trying to do it ourselves and we've done all marketing ourselves and we're getting good results. And yeah. now I think we're very much ready to stop doing it ourselves. And we're also well positioned to like understand who we should be asking for help. Right. I, I think what you guys are describing right now is absolutely crucial. It's one of probably my biggest pet peeve when I work with a lot of clients when they have, when I'm speaking a completely different language, like I don't need you to be an expert, let's just say on Facebook ads, but kind of have an understanding. You've logged into the ads manager account once, right? Oh, I see what you're pointing at because if you don't have some of that, (laughs) you know, everything is like, I guess that's good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and that's, that's not good. But again, there's only so many things that you could, you can truly know, um, you know, inside and out, top to bottom, you know, how to, you know, finagle it, how to get the most out of it. So I think that it sounds like that, that, that that's something that, again, you guys have, have kind of fallen into is just like, yeah, we got it. We'll, we'll at least learn a little bit and then we'll, you know, we'll go to experts, but I at least have an understanding so I can know that they actually are an expert. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. It's you know, know that they're an expert and also uh, really start to understand like why, why the kind of the rates on these things and like the prices and costs of stuff are what they are. You know, before yeah. we tried to do all the marketing stuff ourselves, I've definitely felt this thing of like, oh my God, that's a lot of money. Why would we pay someone that much money? And now I totally get why you would pay someone <laughs> that much money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hear that all the time. People are like, man, you're expensive. I'm like, 
I'm literally working on this like every waking minute. <laughs> you know, like it's like, you know, oh, and mind you, 800 variables. Oh, I changed this thing. So now this thing changes this thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, whew. so where, where now in this whole timeline, where does Kickstarter start to fit into like at least the narrative or at least the talking about it? You know, like, hey, we should maybe think about Kickstarter. Hmm, I think that was pretty early on. Um, yeah. Cause it kind of felt like a product that would work well there. And, I, don't know, I like Kickstarter as a as a backer. I've backed a ton of projects, um, mm-hmm. and it just felt like it would be a good fit. I, I don't think we were like one hundred percent locked into it from day one. We definitely considered like, oh, maybe just sell these on our website. Or I mean, back when we were going to sell like giant reader boards to coffee shops, that wasn't going to go on <laughs> Kickstarter either, right? When did we really lock it in? I'm not entirely sure. I think it was after. So we. We ran an early access program. Uh, we had a little newsletter with like 200 people signed up. Half of them, at least, were you know friends and family, and mm-hmm. the remainder were people that find us that found us organically. And we built a couple of tidbit units uh, in the workshop. We're actually in Roland's basement at that time, and uh, sent out an email blast saying like, "If you want to, you can buy these. Here's the cost." We set up a little Shopify page, and, and we sold uh, all the units we had available, like 20 or so, in uh, I don't know an hour or two. And they were like, okay, so at least our friends and family are kind of interested in this. Okay, what happens if we run a couple of ads and direct people to that landing page, to that shopping page? And we sold another 10 or 20 units. At that point, it was like, okay, if we can run ads with like very little knowledge about this stuff, then we can get people to go to our website, buy these, send them to them, and then get positive feedback back, then okay, like we could do this at scale. How do we do it at scale? We don't have any money. Yeah, the Kickstarter is a good one. Yeah, that's interesting. So now that that starts getting into your guys' mindset, and how do you start to say, okay, this is the final unit for for content, for photos, videos, the video, mind you, very very big thumbs up on the creative there. Uh, that first uh, what, minute and a half or whatever whatever it is is uh, is very funny in terms of just the set design and the color scheme. So any of you guys who haven't seen it, you got to go over and check out the video because it's tip top. Um, but what starts the process in terms of content, copy, storytelling, rewards, just now this big animal starting to come down the, the pipeline. What are you doing to navigate that? So the video on its own, that's, I, 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 I think the video is brilliant too, but I, I have yeah. to say like, other than Mats and I at the end for like 30 seconds <laughs> yes. where we recorded that over here. Uh, that's definitely something like we we used uh, we worked with an agency called Friends and Allies, and you know they pitched us this concept, and it worked really well. It was yeah. totally kind of like this crazy idea, but I'm I'm super happy with it. So that was not uh, that that was not our like skill and expertise, other than <laughs> being like, oh wow, these these folks know what they're doing. We right. should just like let them do what they're yeah. good at, right. The rest of the content, though, that was, you know, a lot of it, I think, Mats, you wrote a lot of the copy originally for the ads, right? Yeah, we had like a, a copywriting day or something. We were talking about copy and messaging, like, how do we present this to people? And we put together some documents, like, trying to spin some ideas, like, is this the hacker's device if you want to write your own mm-hmm. things? Or is it about privacy because it doesn't have a speaker or a mic or anything, so it doesn't listen into you. It could be like... Uh, home assistant that doesn't spy on you or is it something else or is it simplifying your daily routine or is it not looking at your phone so much and we wrote a ton of copy around that and threw it into Facebook and just let Facebook ads decide for us what what really really worked we could like I don't know how much we really learned there but the it gave us guidance in at least how the the movie production came about like our mm. we pretty much handed that over to the video guys and then they created magic with it. Mm-hmm. It's the, interesting. The rest yeah. of the page though. Sorry. I saying, no, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and I love too, just like the amount of how like the, the GIF layouts that you've done, just the, like the, the color schemes and like the, just the graphic layouts. It does seem like it does tell the story. And it's interesting. You kind of mentioned the one that really stuck out to me I, that, or at least by me going through it was this sort of, you can keep your phone in your pocket longer that like that sort of that is what kind of register you know and i can see how there could be other things that register with other people again 
based on location, it might be the subway or whatever. But like, for me, it's just like, man, it'd be nice now I have to pull my phone to look at, you know, whatever public or Robinhood's doing or whatever, you know, crypto I'm looking at. It's like, oh yeah, it's just right there. So it seems like, you know, did you find that any one of those sort of floated to the top at all? Or were they all just kind of all those different kind of user, user scenarios, maybe? Crypto and stocks was big. Yeah. Bigger than I anticipated. Uh, definitely just saw that from, I mean, we ran ads on Instagram, right? And those were the <laughs> ones that got tons of comments and people liking it or not liking it, but like, you know, everyone yeah. sees it as like, I, I got a response on this. Mm-hmm. That, that I, I hadn't imagined that use case like a year ago. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I feel like in general though, just for the content, um, we just kind of wanted to showcase like here's kind of everything you can do and just kind of put it in order where, you know, it's roughly in order where like the things that are most relevant for the largest number of people are at the top. And then at the bottom we have like, you know, stuff that's like more niche, I think, or mm-hmm. that's kind of what we tried to lay it out. Like, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really convenient product in a sense because uh, it can be so many different things. Like if we had yeah. built it to only show you weather information, then all we would learn is that you know some people care about weather information, some don't. But we could put together all these apps, including like some some stuff like like the stocks thing, which is like we thought it could be visually compelling, but probably no one will care. It'll make for a good photo. Mm-hmm. And then as it turns out, you know that's one of fifteen or so different things we put in our ads and showed to people and. That one just resonates with people. It goes really, really well. People like that. So then we learn something, learn something really useful about how, cool. to, cool. how to position it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you, you mentioned that you, you know, getting those early sort of test sales and just kind of, you know, sort of you know, crawling before you start running here. What were you looking for data-wise though before you hit the launch button on the Kickstarter? Was there a certain amount of emails or just a certain amount of, of Facebook ads or what, whatever it might be, uh, people pixeled, whatever. What were you looking for to say, you know what? Man, we're ready to launch. Let's, let's, hit, that go, let's hit that green button today. So we had some, some internal goals for like the number of backers we wanted to reach and the number of devices and so on. Like what's the minimum we can do without this being a complete failure? Mm-hmm. And then we just went from that and said, okay, if we have a newsletter, what can we expect the conversion rate to be? Maybe 1% kind of pessimistic, maybe 4% kind of optimistic. Yeah. And then we sized the newsletter accordingly. Mm. Uh, we also did this thing that Rowan set up, the $1 reservation flow so people yeah. could go in and uh, basically let us know that they're high intent people, mm-hmm. that they're really interested in this thing for real. And we, in return, uh, gave uh, an extra discount on, on every ticket. Yeah. So that stuff gave us a, a fair bit of content going into it. That's cool. That's cool. Well, let's, let's, I mean, we haven't even talked numbers quite yet on the Kickstarter. So while we're talking right now, about 12 days to go in the campaign, you had a $40,000 public goal, but you guys are at about $676,000. So obviously you've crushed that goal. Um, the number that sticks out to me is the amount of backers. It's over, you know, almost 3,800 backers, a lot of units, right? Um, what has been the thing that sort of stood out the most in this campaign that you just did not expect at all? Just like, oh my gosh, everybody's buying them in, you know, Taiwan. I don't know, you know, Singapore, whatever it might be. Is there something that's just like did not expect that? Oh, there's a, there's one thing, and I actually don't know. I don't know how we're going to act on this, um, but uh, this is just really random. We've gotten a crazy amount of emails from various uh, retailers, wholesalers, and distributors in Japan. And we don't sell the device in Japan. It would probably be quite a challenge for us. We'd have to like, I mean, I'd love to at some point. We'd have to like add uh, some localization and internationalization support, et cetera. But like, right. I swear every morning we wake up to like multiple emails from people <laughs> who want to like do these wholesale bulk purchases of tidbits in Japan. And I can't quite figure it out. That's interesting. Well, yeah. yeah. It's a good thing to start working towards maybe uh, at some point, put some time behind it. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but as this campaign has been going on, I mean, the, you know, 
let's talk a little bit around like just like the communication on a campaign at this sort of scale, right? How are you guys sort of navigating through, you know, the comments, the Facebook ads, the the questions, like your the emails you're getting every day? You know, I, for a lot of campaigns, it's going to be a ton of work, right? So, like, how are you guys sort of making sure that you're on top of everything and and um, and uh, and and keeping everybody abreast of what's going on in the campaign and this is happening, this is happening? How are you guys doing that? The first two days on launch day, we, we made sure to be collocated uh, in the workshop. And I at least made sure to, to tell my partner that I may not be home a whole lot for the next couple <laughs> of weeks. This may be completely bananas. I don't know what to expect. And the first few days definitely were. Like, it was a full-time job, just constantly answering questions, comments, reading emails, trying to communicate yeah. with people, looking at numbers, freaking out, feeling very happy, feeling really scared. Yeah. Complete roller coaster. But since then, it's it's calmed down and we're constantly in touch during the day, me rolling over chat, even if we're in different locations. Just take turns checking our emails, checking Instagram. I make sure to turn on notifications now for all those things on my phone too. So <laughs> yeah. Can, yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah. we also have a good uh, like technological system. Like we have an app that lets us have a shared email inbox and also mm -hmm. see when messages come in from Kickstarter. We can see when one person is responding or the other person is responding. Um, and we just kind of like make sure to more or less respond to everything as, as much as possible. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the numbers are, are high in terms of the amount of backers and, and money raised. You know, was this something that you were like, you know what, we can... Are actually with manufacturing stuff, we can actually handle four thousand orders, six thousand orders. You know, who knows what this may may end up being in terms of a campaign. Was there any sort of, you know, man, we are not actually set up to do this amount, right? This campaign is too successful. That happens in some Kickstarters where it's just like, man, we, you know, really we want to do two thousand units, right? Like that would have been that that maxes our production. Have you guys had to make any adjustments on this campaign, or did you guys have some idea in your data to say we're going to do this many units? I mean, yeah, I don't think we, we really thought we would get to these numbers, but we prepared for it. And like, I'm yeah. super confident we can pull it off. Like we sliced everything according to there being several thousand tidbits mm. just in case and to make sure everything could work out in that case. Yeah, um, has, there, has there been anything that you've had to like, you know, and I, I say this, cause I, I've got a couple companies that are just like parts in general right now in the COVID time, right? Like we, you know, I've got one that like, we're going to have to do an out of stock for an e-commerce because we just can't get this one part in. Have you guys had to navigate any of those sort of challenges right now at all? Totally. Uh, one, one big one has been uh, lumber, which yeah. is kind of weird. I, I didn't really think about that as being an issue, but we're specifically doing this in using North American walnut, right? And it's mm -hmm. like North, it's like solid hardwood. And we like that. It's the finish we like. We don't want to change it uh, right now uh, because, you know, we spend a lot of time finding something that really feels and looks good in hand. But uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just like the pandemic is kind of like abating a little bit. So everyone's trying to build walnut furniture or something. But like our <laughs> lead time on that has gone up. It's like more more than doubled. Um, fortunately, and I, you know what? I think this is part of the reason that maybe neither of us is like super, super worried about manufacturing is like um, before we launched, uh, Mott's, uh did a good job convincing me to like build a lot of room into our timeline uh, mm, okay. so that we're not like over promising so it's like okay so these these things are happening but like it's still gonna work we we can figure it out i mean who knows like maybe we'll find that the that there's some other part that's an issue and stuff um we have enough room built in for like one or two issues to pop up if we get like three or four issues or you know like if another container ship gets stuck in a canal somewhere <laughs> then yeah, yeah. and uh, we're all we can do, I think, is just like be really upfront with people and communicate like mm -hmm. this is how we prepare, this is what we're doing, and this is how we're going to respond. That's cool. That's cool. So, you know, so the campaign ends in 12 days, a couple more weeks for all the money to drop in. What starts your guys' process um, in the manufacturing? And, you know, how do you start getting these out to, to, to people? What, what just starts happening for you guys? I think the number one thing we're going to have to figure out, and this is kind of like... Um, this is kind of a, a gamble for, for both of us is, so we definitely want to deliver for all of our Kickstarter backers right away. Um, we're also considering like, 
should we order more units from the factory? Uh, because, you know, soon after Kickstarter, well, we still want to have our company and like sell more right. stuff. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the holiday season. So we got to mm -hmm. figure that out. Like how big are we actually going to size this order? How much, uh, how much are we going to like put into that? So we have to figure that out. Um, but I mean, we spent a lot of time setting up the manufacturing side of this. So once we have the money in hand, it's basically like, okay, let's start ordering ordering the uh components the parts like let's let's get going like we we are ready to go yeah yeah and um how, how are you guys handling sort of shipping and handling and packaging i know again when these campaigns get to this sort of scale you know sh just shipping and handling alone can be a monstrous task how are you guys sort of navigating through those channels we we're working with uh you know there's a, there's a lot of well-known names out there right that do like crowdfunding fulfillment so we're talking yeah. to a couple of different people um uh yeah i'm pretty aware of how shipping and handling can be an issue <laughs> so uh it's definitely something we want to sort out um but likely what we will do is outsource to um you know a third third-party fulfillment firm yeah. where we bring in our container of tidbits and one one thing we have going for us is that every tidbit unit, uh, there's only one model. There's no mm. different yeah. SKUs and stuff. So right. we just more or less print shipping labels for everyone, and right. it's good to go. We do have more work to figure out around the uh, around international shipping and stuff. That's something we've been a um, little wary of, or wary of, I should say. Um, so we're we're getting that done. Um, but the other thing we have also considered, I don't think we'll do this, but you know, even if we had 5,000 units, um, we, have a, we have like a commercial space here. We could take delivery and then Mats and I could just sit here and print out 5,000 labels and like stick them on all day. Probably get it done in a week, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's what we're gonna do. Yeah, yeah, that's not fun. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not that much fun. Um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about just uh, something that you, uh, Mats, you discussed about the um, just that user experience because now you're getting to that point where you know packaging, opening, pulling it out of the box, you know, syncing correctly, all that stuff. You know, what is that sort of um, amount, amount? What's the amount of time spent on that process of just making sure? You know, it's not just coming in a box. I'm just opening it. Like, it, I feel like that's super important. And with you guys' look and feel of all this, I've got to imagine you guys are focused on that. So, how are you just making sure that that, you know, from from a tech guy like myself gets it to my wife who can't turn on, you know, I have to go turn on Spotify for her, right or whatever. Like, I got to go do her thing for. How do you make sure that it works for kind of all consumers at this point? I mean, we have through that early access program, we have seeing people use it with very different degrees of technical expertise mm. and the the current version of, of the platform it kind of works like it's not difficult to start up the app and the display is going to tell you you need to start the app so you start the app and the app says click here to connect the device and you do it and then it walks you through the process i i mentioned before that that was one of the things that i really felt stressed out about and because of that stress we've also put a lot of time and effort into it i think we probably spent as much time on the setup flow together with our, our UX design guy as on any other part of, of the app. So yeah. that feels pretty solid. And then we have uh, a designer helping us out with the packaging design to make sure that that looks good, that it feels good. We're going to include a little uh, pamphlet or postcard or something with some written instructions to like really walk you through the process. Yeah, It, it, feels, it feels pretty solid. I'm, That's cool. I'm confident. Yeah, I, that's it's one of my it's a, one of my the least things talked about, but it's so important. It's just like you know, it's like getting that Apple product right. Like half the time, half of it's opening the stuff, and you know, or you know, it's just it's a part of the equation. And 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 the good companies do a great job of that and making it a, sort of a three D approach. Um, you know, at the end of the day, so what what starts happening? Like, what is this next? You know. I guess five years look like. What, what, what's the roadmap? Is it, you know, are you going back to making coffee shop boards, or you know, is it just staying in this niche, or is it staying in products that help with, you know, not opening your phone a lot? Is it is it moving into, you know, other other verticals? What, what do you what do you guys sort of visualize when you're when you're when you're daydreaming? We literally had a, a discussion about this today. Uh, like, <laughs> what will we do afterwards? What is the future going to be like? And 
dude, we have like we don't know. We have ideas, <laughs> we have hopes, yeah. dreams. But I think I think what's really gonna guide us in this is how people end up using their their Kickstarter devices. If the backers end up being all people who want, uh, I don't know, subway times. That's the only thing it does. And okay, maybe that's what we focus on. Maybe there are other products okay. in that space. Or we yeah. find that the stocks thing is really important in cryptocurrency. Maybe we should pivot just a little bit and try to focus on financial stuff, even though it's not really mm. our, our forte. I got to say, yeah. I've been bitten by the hardware bug, though. So I feel like, like I, so we don't, yeah, we, we've been so heads down on like Kickstarter, 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 launch this thing, get the thing done, that we now need to step back and look at what are the next few years going to be like. Because, I mean, up to this point, like maybe it would have been like the Kickstarter is a flop. The next few years is go find a job. <laughs> but yeah, like right. um, now we actually uh, have to think about it. And uh, even if it doesn't really make business sense, God, I, it's just so much fun to build hardware. I want to I want to yeah. keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting challenge. Man. And when it comes together. I don't think there's anything better, right? When you when you get all the blood, sweat, and tears together, and uh, and people want it too. Because unfortunately, I've been on a part of some things where, yeah, they didn't want it. We, we, yeah. we spent the, the years making it. It happens. It's a part of it. Well, let's do a quick lightning round. Let's talk about nothing to do with Kickstarter or tidbit or any of that sort of stuff. So let's let's do a quick lightning round around. Uh, what are you guys watching on the old uh, streaming channels? Are you guys watching anything right now? The Netflix, the Hulu's, the HBO's. What are you guys watching? I just finished I, watching the, the last season of a show called Shkistel, which is uh, set in the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel. Hmm. And it's fascinating. I, I really enjoy it. I don't know if it's the greatest TV show ever, but like, there's so many interesting cultural things going on there. What's it on? Uh, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Maybe one to check out. But you, Ron, you watch anything? I uh, just finished up WandaVision. That was, oh, okay. was kind of cool. Oh, and then I watched the... I don't know why I did this. I sat through the four-hour Snyder cut of Justice League. I just talked. To, I just oh. talked about that yesterday with a buddy who, uh, yeah, he, he, he wasn't into it. Or I did that yeah. too a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not getting those four hours back ever. <laughs> you lost those. Huh? <laughs> yeah. How about uh, yeah? How about books? You guys read anything right now? I feel like normally I read a lot of <laughs> a lot of like epic fantasy fiction. That's like my jam. Uh, just like a good uh, like way to escape the world. But I, I haven't had time, <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. to sit down and read recently. Yeah, I just picked up uh, a book. I can't remember the name one for the life of me. So this is a pretty poor story. But it's a. It's, I think it's called Iron and Wolf or something like that. Okay. It's not old. I never heard about it before. But I found it in my dad's old sci-fi collection of pocketbooks. And mm. I picked it up this summer, last summer, and, and read half of it. And now I started reading it again. But a guy in a post-apocalyptic world who finds a wolf and they become best friends, but not quite because the wolf kind of want, wants to eat it like wolves do. And it's it feels appropriate now that COVID is kind of winding down to like <laughs> re-engage with uh, post-apocalyptic scenarios again. Yeah, it's You're good. Not it's good. It anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about uh, how about podcasts? You guys listen to anything? What are you guys listening to? Uh, podcasts. I listen to a lot of uh, politics podcasts that actually tamped out on that a bit after the election. But uh, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite podcasts right now, um, you know, living in New York, this is kind of who I am, is uh, this podcast called The War on Cars. And oh, okay. uh, it's totally just about urban policy. And uh, it's very much like, you know, like they, I, I, uh, I signed up, uh, got some stickers from them. The stickers say like, ban all cars or something like that it's pretty extremist yeah. but like i don't know it's uh it's it's my uh, it's interesting I, i'm i'm a, so in my i live uh, i'm outside of detroit which of course i'm in motor city so everything is a car and i hate cars i yeah i got two of them because that's how we're set up but like i work with my downtown area because we've got this nice little downtown it's it could all be walking it could all be bikes instead we've got two roads and all we fight about is parking structures they like we need we need a three level parking structure. I'm like, there's like ten businesses. It's a small little downtown. Why would we put a four story parking structure in here? Well, that's the only way the restaurants will be busy. What? Yeah. It's ah, you know, it is the worst. So it drives me bonkers. We're we're in New York City, so you'd think like pedestrians rule here, right? But. Yeah. 
in reality, I don't know, like once you go outside and you see it, um, especially I think like the pandemic, like opened my eyes to this in a whole other way where it's like, wow, there's a lot of space on the street and most of it we can't even stand on because it's either cars or, you know, lately it's just literal garbage because we had to cut back the garbage pickups because of budget cuts, whatever, you know. So I don't know. I feel like, uh, yeah, the last, uh, last 12 months have like converted me even more into this like hardcore like streets pedestrian transit yeah. activist well that's what i like my big complaint is that you know we have no infrastructure for like a high-speed rail that i could like you know go up north here in michigan and have you know go to lake michigan in a day nope nope I, that's a whole car ride gas yeah, yeah you know it's just yeah. like why can't i pay 30 bucks and go somewhere right why <laughs> why do these things not exist and why do they exist in like europe it exists i can see it we don't have any of it at least you have a subway system too. Like, you know, like we went to DC right before the pandemic and I love DC, man. I, I took my family there and we were all over the place. I did, um, you know, it's like, man, this is like, I could get anywhere. I, all right. We don't need to complain about that. I guess. Uh, Ron, do you listen you got any podcasts you're listening to? Oh, me? None. Yeah, that's good. Actually, uh, I, I used to listen to politics podcasts, the daily, the New York times new podcast, a couple of like special stuff. Like I was really into, uh, lifting weights for a while so i was listening obsessively to a weightlifting podcast but with the pandemic and leaving my former employer no longer commuting that just yeah a lot. yeah my podcast has gone down too because i literally just walked into my my office <laughs> so <laughs> it yeah. wasn't a very big commute sure um, yeah, that's cool. All right, all right, my last one's going to be around. Is there any like sort of marketing material or things that you kind of are are always going to to stay up on this stuff? Or like, man, I, I just you know, is there a medium person you read a lot, or is is there just somebody that you're just kind of always inspired by that you're uh, that you're checking out? So one thing I'll throw out there is um, we signed up for this thing. It's called like the Launch Studio Kickstarter Masterclass, mm-hmm. and it's run by Julio Terra, who used to work at Kickstarter for a long time, um, and he's always posting stuff. Um, and, uh, it's been super helpful for us, especially since, uh, like Mats mentioned, we kind of, we did all the marketing and stuff ourselves. So that has been, that has been really great. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Like some of the content has been really helpful. Like it, it gives you a framework for how to approach the Kickstarter stuff. Like, and a lot of it was kind of, you know, we know these things, like we know how, how Kickstarters generally work, like pre-launch campaign and da 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 easy. Yeah. But then you read it in one document or two documents, well laid out, well explained, and it's so much easier to internalize it and to act on it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard really good things about that. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, Kickstarter is kind of in an interesting space right now because I, you know, like I, I love hearing your guys' stories of this, but like for a lot of people, man, it's 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 failure, right? It's mostly tied into failure right now, or you kind of have to really know your stuff and all these little nuances, and um, and then I, I think Kickstarter as a whole is just you know maybe a little bit trying to focus a little bit more back to their roots of you know documentaries and movies and you know obviously the board games are are huge, but um, I think they're kind of in an interesting space right now. Um, so I always love when I see kind of projects like this, like sort of like you know, rise up um, from some of the stuff that Kickstarter is trying to push down the no Facebook pixel, the no, you know, it could be challenging to, to run one of these campaigns. Uh, just how you build the page, right? Like, just like, you know, yeah, that, the that, amount that of time we put too. into that, into that page, it's not a very sophisticated page, but we, I don't think it was like that much work necessarily, but so much frustration and discussion yeah. back and forth and like yeah. did we get the font right on this one infographic i don't think we did i, I think yeah. we're going to read more about fonts can we render this in a resolution which resolution is the ideal resolution everything is horrible yeah let's throw it all out and begin again yeah oh man that was a grind that was a grind. yeah <laughs> yeah well cool well gentlemen i appreciate appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day man this is a great conversation an amazing product um yeah you you, you know you're gonna get a backer over here from me because uh this definitely fits into into my wheelhouse this is awesome awesome product and i look forward to kind of seeing what you guys are gonna do in the future here i feel like there's probably a lot of ways you can go um so i'll be i'll be watching from my end but um yeah i encourage everybody all my fans out there make sure you guys if you're listening to this go check it out it's a phenomenal campaign they're doing really really well we got about 13 days or sorry about 12 days to go when you're um when we're airing this so um gentlemen nice job congrats on the campaign thank you thanks so much much. it was great speaking with you awesome thanks so much yeah all right how about that conversation 
yeah, these guys, these guys are cool. Um, cool guys hanging out in Brooklyn, making cool products. Uh, that hardware bug caught them. You can hear that kind of as, when they answer questions and whatnot. So um, super, super thankful for those guys to, to take some time out of their day and, and jump on a call. It was, uh, it was great. So for everybody else, we got one more. We're going to do one more. And then we're going to see where the, where the chips lay. But song we're listening to is called Syncopate. I think it's one of the better Sugar People songs we've ever wrote. So go check that out. Enjoy it. Go over to woodshed.agency if you need some information or if you want to join our community. Uh, join us over on Discord. We've got a ton of stuff going on there. And we're over on Clubhouse all the time, too. So just check us out. We are around. All right, everybody. Enjoy the song. And I'll talk to you all Stop.